Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this edition of News in Focus is your host, Chris Long. And welcome. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, last night in the bitter cold in the state of Iowa was the Iowa caucuses. And about 115,000 Iowans came out and um, participated in the caucuses last night. And the results were President Trump won in a landslide. (laughs) So, uh, in fact, I think he may have taken all 99 counties. Uh, But here's a report on Fox News with Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The good speaker had a a very important analysis, I think, as we look now at the closure of the first of the primary states, the Iowa caucuses. Let's let's take a listen. More Fox News contributor Newt Gingrich. Mr. Speaker, uh, you became part of a very big ad that the Trump campaign or somebody put together. I'm not sure if it was a super PAC or the campaign. And you voice it over and you, you make a comparison about corruption with the Clintons and the Bidens and a dual system of justice. I don't know what to what degree yet that played a role tonight, um, but certainly it did not deter uh, many people in Iowa tonight for voting for Donald Trump. What's your analysis? Well, as, as you know, I almost never write anything down. But listening to the two brilliant people, you know, you, you just had two of the best analysts on American politics that we have. So I've got five quick points. One, this is the people's victory. Despite every media, despite every lawsuit, despite every effort to destroy Trump, the people of Iowa have stood up and said, no, he is our candidate. Number two, he's the nominee. Get over it. He is the nominee. He's going to win the nomination. The news media doesn't want to say that because they they need to somehow hype. Please watch us while we go through this charade. There is no candidacy for number two. There is no number two. There are irrelevancies. You get to be the leading irrelevant or the second irrelevant or the third irrelevant, but nobody's going to be number two because he's going to dominate totally if you look at the country at large, where he's at like 62 or 64 percent approval. Trump is not a candidate. Trump is the leader of a nationwide movement to take power back from the establishment. And that's why every time he's attacked by the judiciary, every time he's attacked by, by the news media, he gets stronger because people go, yep, that's what I thought. That's exactly what those corrupt people will do. Uh, and of course, starting with the Russian hoax, it's just clear these people lie all the time. Finally, Iowa has turned red. When, when I first got involved in politics, Iowa was a very competitive state and sometimes it was a sort of Democrat state. But over the years, Iowa has moved away and Trump is a big part of this. If you look at the, who's winning elections in Iowa today, they're Republicans. If you look at which party's collapsing in Iowa today, it's the Democrats. That's a harbinger, I think, of what the next few years are going to be like. And that was a report with Newt Gingrich on Fox News uh, with Sean Hannity last night after the Iowa caucuses, in which Fox called it for President Trump, who won handily in a landslide. Now it's on in New Hampshire and South Carolina, but it, I think he's right that uh, basically anyone coming in behind President Trump, it's a relevancy. <laughs> so uh, really, in fact, you had a dropout today. Uh, Vivek uh, Ramswani dropped out of the race. Uh, that makes Chris Christie and Ramswani are out. 
Uh, so that leaves DeSantis and Nikki Haley are remaining in the race. But quite honestly, this uh, Mr. Trump, former President Trump, running again for re-election, is become a symbol right now because of the deep state in Washington has weaponized the federal agencies of the FBI, the Justice Department, and now down to the uh, county levels in blue counties, indicting the president. People see this. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're irritated. And they're going to resoundingly vote for President Trump. And so he's picking up uh, he's picking up votes in the minority communities. Uh, and so it looks like he's going to be able to roll. The Democrats are panicking because the, po- the poll numbers of President Biden are the lowest ever. And uh, he is not faring well. And it looks as if they're going to lose handedly uh, in November if he remains as their nominee. And there's even health issues for the president. So uh, look for chicanery on the Democratic side as they try to put somebody else in on the ticket for November. But this is a time for us to pray. This is News in Focus, a broadcast of the Ohio Christian Alliance. We're glad that you've joined us. We're on each week at this same time. We also are on at 1.30 on Wednesday afternoon, Saturdays at 5, and also on our website at ohioca.org. You can capture the podcast and listen to it in your car or when you're uh, doing your exercises uh, and catch up on the news of News in Focus. With me on the phone to give us a state house update is Greg Lawson. We're going to turn the corner here and focus on some state issues at this time. Greg Lawson is a research fellow with the Buckeye Institute, and we like to refer to him as Mr. Statehouse because every time I talk to a an aide or a representative, they they all know who Greg Lawson is. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chris. It's always a pleasure to join you. Well, thank you. Uh, well, this is an interesting year. Happy New Year in the year 2024. Here we are. We're off and running. And there's, of course, raucous going on at the State House with, of course, a veto override in the in the Ohio House. And now uh, the Senate is poised to do the same. Senate President Matt Huffman has announced that the Senate will override the governor's veto on House Bill 68. Uh, and uh, this is this is a great idea. Your thoughts. I think it's pretty obvious uh, with the House vote that happened last week. You know, they they ended up with 65 votes. Uh, currently, there's only 66 uh, uh, members of the the Republican caucus because uh, there, there's one seat that's open right now. Uh, so uh, there was one member, I believe, that was uh, not in town, so they didn't vote. There were no no votes on the override. So it was a pretty overwhelming margin that you saw. I think the Senate, you would be likely to see the same thing uh, take place there. It would be uh, rather stunning if it if it didn't, uh, especially given what you were saying about what the president of the Senate uh, has already said. And, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, that that's kind of where the action is right now is there. And it's going to be interesting to see if there's that much action on anything else in the legislative agenda once we kind of get, uh, get past that, because... Uh, been a fairly, in a lot of ways, been kind of a slow General Assembly once they uh, passed the budget last year, which is always a big deal. It's the biggest piece of legislation usually that passes in every two-year General Assembly. Uh, But I believe they only passed a total of 16 uh, bills last year. It was actually kind of a historical low in terms of the number of bills uh, that cleared both chambers of the General Assembly and went to the governor. So, uh, I'm not sure uh, how much more action there's going to be at the state house once we get past uh, the likely uh, override. 
Well, I'm reading here from the statement we put out on House Bill 68, again, legislation that would ban uh, males from participating in girls' and women's sports. Also, it will ban hormone-blocking drugs and medical surgeries of sexual mutilation on children. Uh, we stated the following, House Bill 68, legislation that protects women's sports by banning trans males from competing against girls and women in sports. It also bans the transgender indoctrination that is going on in public schools and in certain health clinics. Well, the House voted resoundingly. They only needed 60 votes. They got 65. 65. And did I understand that uh, one or two of the Democrats also voted with the Republicans? I don't believe that's the case. Uh, I think that they had, I think it was a straight party line vote uh, because there's uh, 66 uh, Republicans currently in the House because of that one open seat I mentioned. So there were 67 elected, but there's a member who had to resign, and that seat has not been filled. And I know there was one member that was not, uh, one Republican member that was not in town on the day of the override vote. Uh, so that's where I think the 65 came from. Uh, I'd have to double check that. I may have missed somebody, uh, but I think it was a straight party line vote. So we're talking with Greg Lawson of the Buckeye Institute. We're talking about the Ohio State uh, uh, update on policy of what's going on at the state house. So the every all eyes are on the Senate, of course, for the veto override, which is scheduled for next Wednesday, uh, January the twenty fourth. That's when the Senate is due back, and Senate President Hoffman has stated that they will vote to override. Uh, we wouldn't encourage you to contact your state senators. And you can do that on our website. Uh, there's a link there. Contact your Ohio State member. And there's actually also a sample message that you can send them just to simply say, please vote to override the governor's veto on House Bill 68. Well, Greg, um, there's been some other activity. Let, let's take a listen to this report from the State House News Bureau on the electronic billboards on highways. Uh, and I've noticed myself that you know, I look to those signs because whether there's a, a weather alert or a traffic alert, you look uh, to the sign and you wonder what's there. But you see funny screwball messages sometimes. I'm like, what's going on here? Let's take a listen to this report from Statehouse News Bureau. It's the end of the road for the funny, punny one-liners that the Ohio Department of Transportation has been putting up on electronic signs on freeways. O-H-I-W-O, slow down. Life is fragile, drive safe. Those are two recent messages on ODOT's electronic signs that may have to be rethought. ODOT spokesman Matt Bruning says last month, the Federal Highway Administration updated its manual saying pop culture references or humor should not be used on those signs with two years to make the change. It's something we've already adjusted to here in Ohio and we'll continue to, you know, work with Federal Highway. Um, if there's anything that we... Uh misstep on, I'm sure they'll let us know. Bruning says funny messages can be more memorable, but the feds say the signs are serious and there's a risk that references might not be widely understood. ODOT is taking new sign suggestions at zerodeaths.ohio.gov. Karen Kassler at the Ohio Public Radio Statehouse News Bureau. I do have to say, Greg, that, you know, I look to those boards for important messages, and when I see just the cutesy kind of messages, it makes people not pay attention as much, I think. I think it's uh, probably important to have important emergency messages up there, especially when you have changing road conditions with uh, all the uh, traffic and construction going on in Northeast Ohio right now. 
What say ye as far as this report on the electronic uh, message signs on highways? Well, I think safety is obviously the thing that's of paramount importance, and I think to the extent that there would be a distraction, you don't want anything like that to happen. And certainly when there's a lot of construction going on or when there's bad weather conditions, we've kind of hit our you know, a pretty pretty rough spell here in the last few days. Uh, so I think it, it makes sense in that in that way. Uh, I will say, you know, I guess I, I didn't mind it a whole lot. Uh, some of them were modestly amusing. I guess in a certain sense I didn't pay all that much attention one way or the other to the funny ones, so it really didn't necessarily bother me. Uh, but I can understand why there might be a few concerns there uh, in, in terms of making sure that people continue to pay attention to it, which is, I assume, what the Fed's are, are trying to get at here. Uh, they're really meant for very specific messages about accidents that have happened, you know, one lane, closure ahead kind of thing. And, and those are very important messages. And you don't want bridge to out. tune those out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bridge you, out. You definitely you know? want those things taken care of. Yeah. You know, well, here in the greater Akron area, everyone can understand. I mean, you have the central interchange that's been there for years now going under a major reconstruct. And I got to tell you, I drove through there. I was visiting my son out there in Portage County, and we came back through at night. I couldn't understand. I've been driving these roads for 50 years, you know, whatever. Uh, I, well, almost 50 years. I, I got my license at age 16. And, uh, you know, I couldn't understand what was going on going to the central interchange. And it was, it was, you know, they're moving your lane back and forth. So I'm not looking for a cutesy message at that point. I really need direction on the roadway because it literally gets hazardous. And there's been a lot of accidents with the major construction uh, upheaval in the Akron area. And I know all over the state they're doing construction. Well, that's an interesting report. Um, you know, as a companion to what we're talking about with House Bill 68, is on the other side in public schools, where some of the public schools in the urban areas, the blue counties, they've gone ahead and made all gender restrooms. Well, this has caught the attention of state house representatives who have said, that's enough of that. They're getting calls from parents and saying, I don't want my daughter in a restroom where a boy comes in uh, pretending to be a girl. Uh, you know, my, where, what about her privacy? What about the decency? And so House Bill 183 was introduced by Representative Beth Lear and others. Here's a report from the State House on the hearing last week on the bathroom bill, House Bill 183. A Republican-backed bill that says K-12 and higher education institutions must require students to use bathrooms and locker rooms that correspond to the gender listed on their birth certificates got some slight changes on Wednesday. It wasn't voted out of a House committee, but there was still a lot of debate over the purpose of the bill. Democrats asked questions about the need for the bill. Representative Munira Abdullahi asked Republican sponsor Adam Byrd how institutions would enforce the requirement that students use the bathroom of the gender they were assigned at birth. What I would say is this bill doesn't prescribe to the, to the Educational Institute what the punishment's going to be. That's on them to, to write that. That sounds dangerous. Republican sponsor Beth Lear also said telling children they can change genders is lying to them and compared gender-affirming treatment to having a child who thinks he's a bird and suggesting he jump off a building to see if he can fly. Democrat Casey Weinstein described that as very offensive. Karen Kassler at the Ohio Public Radio Statehouse News Bureau. Well, again, the Statehouse News Bureau, they're a liberal group, okay? You and I have both interviewed with them over the years. Uh, look, this is a no-brainer kind of bill. I mean, the bathroom of your gender uh, birth is where you should be going. 
you know, no father wants his daughter to be um, violated by a boy going into a woman's bathroom. So, again, to the political left, you're all crazy. And we're just calling out your craziness. And quite honestly, Greg, the Ohio the Ohio um, voters have said the same thing. They got a very small minority in both the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate. Nobody's going with what they're 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 preaching, okay? And the majority of Ohioans are very upset about this. So, what say ye about this bill, House Bill 183, uh, the bathroom bill, to basically bring common sense back into the uh, public schools? Well, I think you nailed it on the head there, Chris. Uh, I think the issue is people want common sense. And I think if you look at polling numbers, you'll see that common sense is what wins out. Uh, that's what voters want. That's what taxpayers want. Uh, and I think that what you're seeing is uh, just people wanting to get back to reality and focusing on things that are actually really important. I mean, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about things that are, unfortunately, a distraction from some really dire numbers that are out there. Uh, if you look at what's happened with the education attainment of students, not just in Ohio, but in, nationwide, but in particular in Ohio, we have real serious learning gaps that have emerged, and folks that were already behind or worse behind because of a lot of those school closures that happened during the COVID pandemic. And we need to be focusing in on that kind of an issue. And common sense should rule on a lot of these other issues so that we can spend our time talking about what are we going to do to ensure that students are actually getting the skills they need to get the jobs of the future. And I think this is one of the things where hopefully we can, you know, put some of these issues to bed uh, get them taken care of so that we can move and focus on what everybody says they want to focus on, which is making sure that Ohio kids actually get a good education. And, you know, the one thing I'll say, too, that, that also is important, besides uh, House Bill 183, you've got a lot of school choice things that are coming online right now here in Ohio. And I urge a lot of folks to take a look at the options that are available to them because we have more options available now, frankly, thanks to the last budget bill. This General Assembly or, uh, has done a good job of expanding options for students so that, you know, if common sense isn't raining in your district, you have some options to go somewhere where common sense is raining. And I think that is what we want to see is to be able to empower the parents, make decisions to go where they feel that it's the right fit uh, for their students so that we can get beyond this stuff and focus in. And again, getting kids the tools they need. We have, uh, you know, if you look at some of these numbers from, from national, uh, the national report card, uh, you know, you look at how Ohio is doing, it's struggling. And that is what we need to do here in education policy is to make sure that we are getting beyond uh, these things, put the stuff to rest, let common sense rule, and then let's focus on getting kids ready for the future. Well, that's right. In fact, uh, you and I were there with a the state of the state address last year when the governor highlighted that uh, because of the COVID shutdowns in the public schools, that many of our students have fallen behind reading comprehension by a full grade level is what was uh, determined. Uh, and that would spell disaster for our graduating seniors and for the next uh, succession of uh, graduates in the next uh, handful of years. That That has to be turned around. And there's no time to be fooling around with something like this. This is a no-brainer bill. But here, you have the social liberal agenda, the woke agenda by the political left pushing it in public schools, using our public institutions uh, to to uh, push their agenda, which, by the way, going by the polls, uh, when we think about House Bill 68 of the transgender um, bill, 70 percent of Ohioans 
think that it ought to be banned for anyone under the age of 18 as a state law. 70 percent. So it's like, you know, the, the Democrats have no leg to stand on here. And the point of the matter is and not all Democrats agree with them, by the way. Uh, so they're split within their own ranks. And that's why they don't want to howl, howl and hoot too loudly, because the people just aren't with them on that one. And so, you know, where they're beating their chest over the uh, uh, November election of abortion on demand in Ohio, uh, Ohioans uh, are not with them on this issue by overwhelming numbers. And so hopefully we can get back to the business of doing the kind of education reforms, like you said, that will help uh, these students that have fallen terribly behind. We just point out reading comprehension, but probably on every academic uh, study, they have fallen behind because of the closures. And like you said, there are new options as we've expanded school choice in Ohio. That's been one of the great victories of this General Assembly, is the largest expansion of school choice in our state's history. Uh, give that to us again in a nutshell, what, what we've accomplished this last year with educational choice, Greg. Yeah, it was, it was a banner year in the budget last year. It was the best year for school choice in the state of Ohio history. Uh, first and foremost, Ohio basically expanded the ed choice. Uh, scholarship or voucher program so that any family that wants to get a voucher will be able to get a voucher. Uh, families uh, will be able to get, most families will be eligible for a full voucher, which is a little over 6,000 for K through 8, and then a little over 8,000 for uh, 9 through 12. Uh, if you make over 400% of poverty guidelines, so probably around 130,000 for a family of four, uh, there's a sliding scale uh, on how much of a voucher you get, but you still get something. You, everybody would be eligible uh, to get something to help uh, uh, do this. So it's essentially universalized. It's available for any family that feels they want to take advantage of it. So that was a massive improvement. Uh, the other, There was a lot of work on public charter schools, which are uh, public schools, but are typically trying to find a different way of, of providing education that meets the needs of different student populations. There was a number of good policies in the budget that help make it a bit easier for charter schools to be able to operate effectively and focus on their mission, which, again, should be uh, getting uh, students educated. So I think this is an extremely important thing. One thing we'd like to see happen here in the General Assembly as we move forward is we'd like to see some capacity building for a lot of these school choice options. Um, you know, public district schools get a lot of access to capital money from the state. Um, charter schools and, and all do not uh, get much of that uh, available right now. And uh, a lot of private schools that are also taking in EdChoice uh, students, these are schools that have, have gone through the process of the Department of Education and Workforce and, and uh, have been approved. Uh, some of them might need some a little extra help to, to build out their capacity. And we think that there are some ways that we can, as a state, make it a little bit easier for those schools to expand capacity. Because I'll tell you what, for some of the reasons you've been talking about, families are going to be making changes. We are going to see a deluge in the school choice. We already are seeing historic sign-ups for the Ed Choice program, and I think you're going to continue to see that as we keep moving forward. And what we need to be ready for is to be able to make sure that there's a place for all those students to go. Absolutely. We've been talking with Greg Lawson, research fellow at the Buckeye Institute, and you can find them at buckeyeinstitute.org. Again, that's buckeyeinstitute.org. Well, Greg, thank you. It's been great having you on as a guest to give a State House update. We'll be seeing you next week, I assume, down there for the veto override vote that is scheduled for next uh, Wednesday at the Ohio State Senate. 
I hope to be seeing you there in the hallways of the State House. Hope to see you real soon, Chris. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Well, uh, we want to share with you also uh, that the Freedom Banquet of the Ohio Christian Alliance is coming up, and that's on January, excuse me, February the 22nd. That's Thursday, February 22nd, at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. Bill Federer of the American Minute will be with us. He'll be talking about socialism from Plato to the present. Also, we'll have a candidates forum uh, as the first part of that evening of the U.S. Senate and the 13th congressional race. And there will be candidates that we'll be uh, discussing. So we've gotten some confirmation from the Senate candidates and also from those who are running for the 13th congressional race. That candidate forum begins at 6 p.m. The dinner program begins at 7. And we hope that you can join us. You can register on our website at ohioca.org. This is Chris Long, host of News and Focus, announcing my new book, For Their Honor, how the D-Day prayer was added to the World War II Memorial. This book tells the 11-year story of how one of the largest mass prayers in history was added to the World War II Memorial. The D-Day prayer was one of FDR's fireside chats, but it stands alone as an incredible moment in American history. The date was June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion of Western France, was already underway by the Allied nations. News reports throughout the day were released from General Eisenhower's headquarters with short statements but with few details on what was happening with the landings and on the beaches of France. The American public anxiously awaited throughout the day to hear from President Roosevelt for more details on the historic invasion. What they heard that evening was a president inviting them to join him in prayer. This book will inspire and encourage your faith You can order yours today at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. America is kept safe because the Army National Guard responds, protects, and supports our nation when it needs them most. From fighting wildfires with air support, helping civilians in flooded neighborhoods, to delivering food and supplies to those who have lost everything, the Army National Guard always responds when disaster strikes. The Army National Guard also trains to be ever vigilant against threats, foreign and domestic. They protect our skies with missile defense weaponry. They secure our information, communications and infrastructure with cybersecurity. And they protect us against chemical, biological and radiological hazards with the civilian support team. The Army National Guard also stands ready to deploy and provide support for conflicts or humanitarian missions abroad. Join the Army National Guard and be there to respond, protect, and support your community and your country. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back. And we're going to take this segment to talk about some of the candidates that are running in the primary of March 19th. Last night, of course, was the Iowa caucuses in which President Trump handedly took the Iowa caucuses in a landslide, and now they move, uh, the presidential race moves on to New Hampshire, then South Carolina and other states. Uh, Super Tuesday is March 5th, but here in Ohio, the primary is March 19th and quickly approaching. We have several congressional districts that are uh, gaining national attention. The 9th Congressional District has a Republican primary that's become uh, uh, spirited as three candidates are in the 9th Congressional uh, primary race on the Republican side to challenge 
Marcy Kaptur, who is a long-term serving Democratic congresswoman from that district. Uh, Congressman Bill Johnson of Ohio's 6th District, a good-time friend of, long-time friend of this program over the years, uh, has announced his retirement. In fact, this is his last week in Congress as he is going on to be the president of Youngstown State University. So that's an open seat, the 6th Congressional. And Governor DeWine did uh, announce the special election, and the Secretary of State has announced the calendar for that on the 6th Congressional District. And that will be the March 19th for the primary. And those of you in the March 19th primary in the 6th Congressional will be voting twice uh, for your candidate, one for the primary of the general election and one for the special election. Why say that? Well, the special election will be June 11th, and the winner of that race will actually be sworn into Congress for the remainder of the uh, year and for the term until January, and then vote again in November. So uh, in the 6th, you'll actually have a special election. There was also another announcement of a retirement. Brad Winstrip of the 2nd Congressional District announced his retirement from Congress, although he is staying, staying to the end of the term. So there won't be a special election in the 2nd. However, there is a very crowded field of, I think, 11 Republicans that are vying for that seat. And one of them is with us on the phone. His name is Charles Tassel. He's a Republican for Congress for the 2nd Congressional District. And uh, Charles, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Well, Charles, uh, 2nd Congressional District is all the way down there on the Ohio River. Some of the counties, of course, are Claremont, Clinton, Highland, Brown, Adams, Pickaway, Ross, Pike, Seota, uh, Hawking, Vinton, Meigs, Jackson, Gallia, Lawrence. That's a big <laughs> congressional district. goes all the way just south of Marietta on the river uh, and then just um, – east of Cincinnati, quite honestly, in Claremont County, and all the way up just buttressing uh, Franklin County. So that's a big part of southern Ohio. Uh, but you've announced your intention to run for the, and you filed as a candidate for the 2nd Congressional District. Uh, tell us why you're running for the, the uh, Congress. Well, a- absolutely, Chris. I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's having been, you know, I've been married for 31 plus years, the three kids, two of which are grown and out of the house. I've still got one who's about 15 and a half, who's, who's going on 20, you know how that goes. Um, it, it shouldn't get out of the house and drive and do that. But I, I even sat down with them November 9th. We were actually in a deacon and elder meeting at our church, and my phone starts blowing up. And I'm like shutting it off, trying to, you know, and find out that Congressman Wenstrip announced that he was retiring. And people were reaching out to me you know, we need you to run, we need you to run. And I'm like, well, hold, hold on, let's, you know, we've got a good life, things are going well here. Um, we're, we, we've moved to Claremont several years before. My wife grew up in Claremont and her parents are, are aging. So we wanted to be close to them, that, you know, five minute emergency run kind of thing. And in all of that, in, in reaching out with folks that I've worked with for years, um, in social community issues, in various conservative issues, they said, Charles, we need your experience. We need level-headed approach, and we need somebody who can hit the ground running. And so I'm, I'm moving forward with it and very engaged on it. And it's been just, you know, it's been so energizing and humbling when you reach out to people and they're like, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, you have to do some of the dialing for dollars that Bruce talks about that. And people thanking you for calling them and giving them an opportunity to participate in this process. 
Chris, it, it's humbling. And I'm just energized to do this and look forward to serving my neighbors in the second district. Again, we're talking with Charles Tassel. He is a candidate for the second congressional district in the primary of March 19th. There are 11, count them, got 11 Republicans running for that seat. Um, and it is a very big uh, district. Uh, Charles, how do you go about running for Congress in with so many counties that you have to travel to and meet the folks? Well, it's it's having good good team, good network. Um, I, again, one of my daughters is actually traveling and speaking with me. Um, I've got a number of folks who are going out on my behalf as well. That's what you have to do. I mean, it's 16 counties, so you've got to cover a number of things every single night. You're being in a lot of places and just really trying to focus and get your message across. And right now, realistically, it's budgets and borders. I mean, that's that's as simple as it gets. And, and almost all of our issues that we have stem from those issues of budgets and borders and really trying to get the message across that we've got to nip the budget in the, in, in the bud. Because if we don't, we're going to have the runaway, runaway inflation. We're already seeing it. And, you know, I, I love it. They came out this morning. Well, November's inflation was only about 3.4%. Like, really? That's not including gas and food and electricity and utilities, which is where we all live. <laughs> it's like, those are the things that are actually hitting our pocketbooks. And the thing is, if we don't get the federal budget under control, the inflation is going to destroy our kitchen table budgets. And we just have to make, we have to take a stand and draw the line. Well, without question, uh, Americans are frustrated with the inflationary costs of food and commodities, uh, just about everything across the board. Wages have not gone up at the same time to keep pace with inflation. And uh, so the middle class and others are, and those who just live paycheck to paycheck, are really struggling. So that should resonate with the uh, constituents of the of the second congressional district. What are you hearing as you go to speak to some of the groups, some of the town halls, some of the uh, church meetings that you are meeting some of the uh, uh, voters at? What, what are they telling you? Well, it, it's interesting. We talk about the, the border side of things. You know, there, there's a phrase kind of every state is a border state at this point. Now, we don't get the same difficulties in some sense that Texas gets, so we don't get it proportionally at least. And we definitely don't get, you know, the the, the federal marshals coming in and cutting down uh, the wire and the, the barbed wire and the, the, the simple walls that Texas is even putting up. We're not getting that here, but we are getting the fentanyl. We are getting the human trafficking. We are getting the sex trade. We're getting the slave trade. And that is coming into our communities and it's destroying our communities. And you know, there, we, we drive around and there's some of the communities you drive through and like, OK, this is healthy. Other ones are various levels of vibrant. But you'll come to small towns where there's no manufacturing. The businesses have left and it's a shell of a town. And the people you meet with, Chris, it's heartbreaking. I mean, they're just it, I, I met with a clerk the other day and she just looked at me and said, yeah, our town's dead. We're just dying here. And, and it's one of those things, Chris, it's like we've got to do more. And we've got to be better by these people than opening the borders, letting the drugs flow across, and they're literally having needles in the street. That's that's where these towns have gotten to because of the border issue. So that has got to be the number one issue. And then from there, you work on the budgets and tighten them up because 
both of those are killing us. Without question, um, there are so many issues that are facing the nation right now, national security issues. We saw where the defense secretary did not inform the White House that he was going into the hospital for major surgery. Uh, we see a breakdown of basically leadership on the federal level. This has people concerned. You have the National Defense Secretary indisposed uh, at a time that we have a Middle East crisis. Uh, we have China on the move and threatening in the South China Sea. What are your thoughts about that on the uh, international side of things of um, as a congressman, as a, uh, you know, interested in being a member of the body of the Congress of national security issues, your, your thoughts along those lines? Well, I think you've mentioned a couple of continents. I mean, if you can look at whether it's um, Venezuela looking at going after uh, Guyana and potential war there, they've already started to rename and claim it. There's, there's areas from Azerbaijan to um, going in and uh, battling in that area. We've got the whole Sahel in Africa, which is the area just underneath the Sahara. There are coup after coup down there, and th that disruption is creating more refugees. It's creating more problems. You know, and we're not even talking about the Houthis and Iranian proxies fighting. I mean, that is all because of a lack of leadership at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, plain and simple. And the foreign leaders know that the president is at best a puppet at this point. And we are rudderless. And I, I will say this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We know that. We know that principle. We know that verse. And, and I'll take it to this level. That also goes for our Republican Party. You know, we've got, we just had a big speaker issue in October of last year. And that we lost probably five to six weeks of potential process of even dealing with the 12 different budgets that had to pass. Now we're pushing them forward and we're pushing another CR and we've got a Republican party, even in Congress that is still divided amongst itself. And really what I'm hearing, I, I was just up in DC recently and you know, the, the call is we need principal people who are going to come up here and work and work for the interests of the people and stop being in the pocket of every swamp rat that's out there. And, and that's what we're seeing over and over again. And they want to spend more money and, you know, a 40% deficit doesn't mean anything. They're just like, we'll just print more money. And it, all they're doing is taking money out of your pocket. And that is destroying our country. Without question, people are filling it in the pocketbook and they're, you know, they're just trying to make ends meet. And they really don't know what this year is going to hold, even financially, if there will be a dropout uh, of the market mm -hmm. and, of course, uh, housing and other sectors. Uh, they're, they're a little worried. You can tell that people are very concerned about those issues. We're talking with Charles Tassel. He is the candidate for the 2nd Congressional District, which uh, Brad Winstrip, currently who has been serving for a number of years, announced his retirement. And it's an open seat. Uh, and there's 11 Republicans vying for that seat. Charles, tell us how you are going to distinguish yourself between yourself and your challengers at this point with just a short race uh, as March 19th as the primary. Well, you know, because it, it's interesting. I, I was ordained. I have a degree in philosophy and religion, so I was ordained early, been an elder at my church, 
and I've worked on issues. You and I go back a few years working on issues of life, religious liberty, um, even traditional marriage, and really getting that issue out there and focusing on those types of knowing that it's not somebody saying this for the first time. Been in the trenches working on these issues. And, and I say that even having been a council member for eight years, I've been able to work on different things and work through projects, whether it's you know protecting your Second Amendment or protecting your First Amendment. Um, I actually had the benefit of being a surrogate for President Trump back in 2016. Uh, I'm on a short list of calls now. I, you know, <laughs> Carrie Lake and Christy No and a few others are well qualified to cover Iowa. They did a great job out there, and the president won fantastic you know, over 50%, which was historic. Those are the kinds of things that I'm sharing out with folks. But Chris, I want to share with you something else. I think you might appreciate this. When I was on Deer Park City Council, one of our other council members came to me and said, you know, over the weekend, my father-in-law, we, we came across some old World War II papers. And he shared with us that he said, you know, yeah, these, I never got my, I never got my medals. They said, well, well, let's let's make that happen. We actually reached out with Brad Wenstrup, and, and the congressman's office was fantastic. We did a night in Deer Park where we honored his father-in-law, and you know, Chris, it was it was amazing in that it was there was not a dry eye in the room as this elderly man took the podium, and the thing he said is that I will never forget those boys at Okinawa. I still see the bodies floating in the water. He said, I don't deserve this. They do. Chris, that is why we work to do this. We work to make sure we're protecting our neighbors. We're serving our neighbors. That is what makes this race so important. It's an opportunity to serve not just my neighbors within a mile or two, but across 16 counties. And the impact not only in the 16 counties, but across the country, and really, as we started to mention in the last question, around the world, we need leadership in America, and leadership has to start at the second district and has to start with each one of us. We're talking with Charles Tassel. He is a candidate for the second congressional district. The primary is March 19th. It's a crowded field in the second congressional district. And you can learn more about uh, Charles by following him on his Twitter account. I'm looking at that. Do you have a website up yet for the campaign yet, Charles? Yes, we do. Tasselforcongress.com. Two S's okay. Wells in Tassel. So it's Tasselforcongress.com. Yes. Okay, and, and Tassel is spelled T-A-S-S-E-L-L. Correct. Well, Let's talk a couple of other things here. Obviously, the Republicans hold a very slim majority currently in the U.S. House of Representatives with uh, Congressman Johnson departing uh, this next week is his last week before he takes the presidency of Youngstown State University. And um, Santos, the Republican congressman from New York, was actually voted out of Congress by uh, the House. Uh, personally, I'm not in favor of that, uh, you know, because I think the people should do that, not Congress. Uh, I wasn't in favor of that. And I know a number of our uh, how congressmen did not cast that vote for his removal, uh, because that's something the people will decide. Uh, so, you know, obviously he was a checkered uh, in te- with integrity and in, in his uh, what was going on with him as a character. But the people would decide that. I don't think it's uh, 
Congress's uh, responsibility to be re- removing members. I'm just never a fan of that. But nevertheless, he was removed. There's a special election there in New York, special election here in Ohio, very thin majority for the U.S. House. Uh, how do you see this playing out, and do you think the Republicans will pick up seats next year in the general election? Well, I, I think with President Trump at the lead, we pick up House seats, we pick up Senate seats, and we pick up a majority that one or two people cannot hold everything up. And, and I say that in the sense that it is not a good thing for that to happen. We need to be able to have a cohesive party and moving forward, but that cohesiveness, I think, is going to come with the leadership of President Trump moving forward and look forward to working with him and serving with him. That is that is partially where we're lacking. We don't have good leadership in the Senate that's out there speaking broadly. We don't have, you know, a well-known spokesperson. Um, Congressman Johnson is new to this, and everybody knows that. So it's not like when he speaks, you know, E.F. Hutton is speaking. People are still trying to question. They're trying to push. And we have to get together cohesively to move an agenda forward. But I think we have a great opportunity. I'm hearing up to four to six seats in the Senate, up to 25 seats in the House. And with that kind of a majority, now you can really start moving things forward. Having said that, God gave us two ears and one mouth to use in proportion. And we need to be listening within our districts as well as within our party to make sure we're really capturing the ideas that we need to bring forward and bringing them forward. Now, I'll give an example of that. So the borders are one piece of it. But let me ask you, why are people risking coyotes and cartels? I mean, there's a legitimate question there. They want to come to the U.S. I get that. And I'm not going down you know, a Romney road of, well, we just need to let everybody. That's not it. But there is something we need to look at. Our bureaucracy is so problematic and so bad that people would rather risk coyotes and cartels, which means risking their health, risking safety. For women, it means most likely repeated rapes along the process. That is not something we should be. We've we got to figure out how to fix that process. And that means you know, even deporting people, deporting them internally within the country and saying, okay, we're going to lock you down. If you're captured, they used to have for a federal support with INS would come in and support the locals. They don't do that now. No, nope, we're not going to take them. Just let them go. And those people who are causing criminal problems in our country, and some of those are very problematic. We see about them on the news every once in a while. Those people are being allowed to go back into our country rather than being deported out. We need to start with those and then roll down because if you're here illegally, you're a criminal. Simple, plain and simple. It's not anti-immigrant. It's illegal immigration. So we need to go after those people. Well, illegal immigration, they're pouring over in an invasion on the southern border. Uh, Governor uh, Abbott is doing everything he can uh, by marshalling the National Guard at the border to stop these people from coming in. we're talking about 8 million people is the estimate that, that has come in over the last few years. Uh, this is just outrageous. And, and like you said, every state is a border state, and Ohio is being impacted. Uh, Springfield, Ohio, uh, the local commissioners there were crying out, saying, we've already a, uh, spent all of our local services because they were being flooded with immigrants, illegal immigrants coming to their community, Ashland, Ohio, and other places as well. So it's an Ohio problem. It's not just a Texas or 
New Mexico or California or New York problem. It's it's an Ohio problem, isn't it, uh, isn't it Charles? It, it is, and we're seeing it. We're you know, if you talk to the officers, they will tell you how they see this issue. Um, look at the look at the insurance issues. People who are driving without insurance, not legal citizens who are doing it, illegal citizens, and they can't get insurance because they're here illegal. So it creates this right. underground. Um, I'll tell you, think about this. The other side too is they can't use the banking system because they're here illegally. So they have large amounts of cash on them when they do work illegally. And then guess what happens? Now there's a criminal issue because people know that they can prey on them. And, and it, this thing continues to spiral out of control. So we have additional crime, additional people preying on them. That's, you know, we can start by stopping, stopping it at the border, sending the message even with leadership that this is not going to be acceptable. You can come in through a legal process outside the country to start. And that's where we need to start. Um, but it starts with leadership. And that's really what I'd like to bring to the tables, the ability to bring a, a policy mentality that really says, here's how we can fix these things. And let's start working on them piece by piece. You know, nobody, nobody knows, or I should say, everybody knows you're not going to turn a battleship on a dime, right? But we've got to start moving forward. And that means from the budget side of things, we can we can start with that with even things like block grants. I mean, I, I go back to the old days with Newt Gingrich, right? Think of taking some of these departments, like Department of Education, cut its cut the number of folks there by 90, 95%, take the money, put it out to the states, lock it in for 10 years, because that's what you're limited to with the Senate, and make it so that the states want to keep those programs and will fund those programs themselves rather than shifts over to them over that 10-year period. That's the kind of thing you start shifting the budget and you start stopping the growth of federal government. We're talking with Charles Tassel. He is a candidate for the 2nd Congressional District. The March 19th uh, primary is approaching very quickly. Uh, to follow Charles, you can follow him on Twitter at Charles Tassel. And what's the website again, Charles, for the campaign? Tassel for Congress. Tassel is T-A-S-S-E-L-L. Thank you for being my guest today. And God bless you as you talk to the people of the 2nd uh, Congressional District in these weeks leading up to the election. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Chris. Keep the faith, brother. Thank you. Again, that was Charles Tassel, a candidate for the 2nd Congressional District. March 19th is the primary. The Ohio Christian Alliance will have a voter guide on our website, so you want to make sure that you visit the Ohio Christian Alliance website often as we approach this primary. We're also having a candidate forum on February the 22nd, at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. It's also our dinner, and you can register for that at ohioca.org or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we look forward to this new year. We're going to have a lot of programs with a lot of candidates coming on and giving you updates from the Ohio State House and in Washington. Thank you for listening, and if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, 
visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is brought to you by the Ohio Christian Alliance.